Welcome back to this episode of Country and Cold Cans Podcast. I'm your host, Logan. I'm Andy. It's been a while since we've uh, had a episode here. It's been kind of hard to, for us to coordinate schedules. Andy's been on the road. Where are some of the places you've been recently? I've uh, been about everywhere. It's not northwest and northeast, but everywhere else. With this unfortunate coronavirus thing going on, you've been pretty busy. Yeah, and I'm also not smart enough to get a microphone to work on the road. So we've had that issue. Yeah, we tried to record. We recorded, I think, two full episodes uh, with an twice. online thing twice, and it like would cut out in very important parts of our our uh, commentary we had on like an Aaron Watson album, I think, and we so just had to trash it. Technical difficulties. Some big time technical difficulties. Mostly the fact that I don't know how to work a computer or <laughs> and, even own one. And he's uh, he's trying to record from a truck stop, whereas like I'm sitting at our in home studio, so it makes it a little difficult for for him to be able to record on his end. But I think we figured it out now. Maybe we'll be able to... Andy's in, in-house today, so this one will go all right. But Live we and in person. Live and in person. So, yeah, but like I said, with the coronavirus thing going on, like it, it kind of sucks with, you know, obviously the most unfortunate thing with, you know, people getting sick and, you know, the fatalities with it. But I had to wait in line to get into Walmart today. Oh, yeah. It's like, did they make you wait like six feet apart from everybody? Well, that's what the sign said. <laughs> that's what the sign said. Well, I also went backwards down the uh, aisle because I'm a rebel. Yeah, <laughs> just a, I'm breaking the law, breaking the law. But the uh, it, coronavirus has impacted pretty much everything around us, you know, as you would expect. But it's also impacted music because pretty much, or not pretty much, all concerts have been postponed or canceled. Like I know that we had some baller tickets to go see American Aquarium on May fifteenth, fourteenth, two weeks. Yeah, yeah May 14th, I think it was. It was a Thursday night show. It was in the future. Yeah, it was a Thursday night show. We were supposed to see them at the Poor House here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And for anyone that hasn't been there, to see a band that's gotten as big as American Aquarium at the Poor House, it only holds like 300 people. It was it been a bit of a badass show. Yeah, it wasn't been as badass as the, the first one we went to there because yeah. it was free. Yeah, the first one we went there, so they were they were headlining two years ago at the State Fair. But that's when the They're hurricane it too. Yeah, yeah, kickoff day. at Dorton Arena, and that's when the hurricane came through Raleigh and canceled it. But BJ did an impromptu free show at, at Poor House, and that place was packed like a sardine in there. But it was awesome, just straight up roots rock and roll, blood, sweat, and beers. But, that was a while back too. Yeah, two years three, ago. Two, three. Two years ago, because they they came back and headlined this upcoming year or this past year, um, in twenty nineteen at Dorton. I went to that show, solo, like a like a lame-o. <laughs> <laughs> Nice run. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but yeah, so it's impacted lots of concerts and but you know people are, all of them all of them yes, but people concerts have been caught canceled for a long time though. Yeah, I remember because they had that big like festival down in like Corpus Christi or something in like yeah early March that got canceled right, and then I don't think they've anybody's really been to have a concert since or sports. Yeah, pretty much everything that involves a crowd has been canceled, which kind of sucks because all of the fun things are with crowds. So we're kind of at an impasse here where we unless you want to hang out at Walmart, we we'll crowds there. <laughs> yeah, some crazy things happen at Walmart. It's not Target. Very true. Walmart's I, better. I just recently discovered Target. Like, I knew what Target was. <laughs> never heard of Target. <laughs> I knew what Target was, but I never went because I'm from a small town in North Carolina where there is no Target. So, like, I always went to Walmart, and then I went to a Target for, like, one of the first times, like, to actually go shopping there for, like, household stuff. And Target is freaking nice, man. Let's be honest. Target's Parker McCollum. Walmart is Coetzel. Fair enough. <laughs> 
they both are they both are good for what they do, but one's a little bit, I guess. Uh, it when and when it comes to department stores, one's definitely nicer than the other. But um, but yeah, so we've had some big releases here recently. I know that um, Dalton Domino put out a his quarantine record, so to speak, the other a few it's weeks acoustic. ago. Yeah, I gotta say that record. One, the songwriting was top notch on most of the songs on there. Like I was a big fan of it, but the for it to be an acoustic in home record, the instrumentation's good on it. Yeah, too, yeah, like the production acoustic. value and everything. He put out the best like in home acoustic record when it came from like the production side that I've heard. Parts of the album doesn't sound like it's necessarily an acoustic album. No, it but didn't. I think he layered it to uh, some of his own. Yeah, picking and grinning. Yeah, he said he had his neighbor come in and. Uh, do back backup vocals, which is kind of cool that he has a neighbor that can sing that well. Because us nor our neighbors can sing like that. But <laughs> <laughs> shoot, I don't even you know my get better neighbors. I don't even know my neighbors. There's two people next door, and we've spoken to each other twice. But you know that's the way it goes. But yeah, that record was good. Like I, I like you and I were talking about that, the back half of that record. I think the middle was part, the, or the middle part, the middle part. Yeah, like whatever it was. Part. The middle third. Yeah. I bet that's, all of it's good, that was a good but I like the middle third. Yeah. But the big release that has been planned for a long time that I guess is kind of the main focus of our music roundup here today, because we're going to talk about this album as well as some singles by some artists that we like. We're basically just talking about our favorite stuff that's been released recently. But the big record has been, obviously, American Aquarium's uh, most recent record, Lamentations, who just dropped yesterday on May 1st. Yep, yesterday was release, release day. Yeah, release day for that. What and is I, a Lamentation? Lamentation, so like, it's one, it's a book in the Bible, but it's like when you're going through a real hardship and you're kind of real desperate and everything is like tough times, basically. Oh. Yeah, so that's, it, it's kind of an aptly titled record when you listen to the subject matter. And then actually with, it's more poignant than ever because of the whole COVID-19 thing going on now. So when he wrote and recorded, wrote and recorded the record, he, uh, I'm pretty sure this was not in anyone's on the back of anybody's mind but now that this is the reality for all of us it's very very people have been using tough folks a lot yeah which he said that he wished he'd came up with that people some people apparently were quoting him on that and he was like yeah i didn't come up with that guys (laughs) yeah but i mean we'll get into the record here um like i really like what was your favorite song so start there. Well, before we get in, r- real quick, before we get into that, we get, do need to note that Grammy award-winning sh- uh, producer Shooter Jennings would, produced it, and I believe in California at his in-house studio. I'm pretty sure and, it was uh, California. Yeah, it was. It was in definitely definitely in California, but they, uh, you know, Shooter is obviously the son of the late country legend Waylon Jennings, but he's a, definitely a very talented artist and producer in his own right. He, uh, I think he won a uh, Grammy Award for producing Brandy Clark's record uh, in 2019, maybe. Somebody can fact check me on that, but I believe it was last year. But yeah, I mean, but my favorite song, not what I consider the best song, but my favorite song is definitely Before the Dogwood Blooms. I love the way that record sounds. I love the, so Dogwood, for people that don't know, is the, I believe it's the uh, uh, official flower of state, of uh, state of North Carolina. I think it's tree. Or a tree? Dogwood's a tree. A tree. Oh, okay. Well, that but shows... it has like flower blooms on it. Okay, so that shows what I know about. Uh, I'm not sure that it's a fl- it. It kind of looks like a flower, but I it's have a no tree. Idea. It's a tree. I know it's a tree. Dogwood tree. Yeah. yeah, it's a tree. Okay. Well, I know that that's what um I learned that, that in elementary a, that, school. That was a dumb moment, right there. <laughs> yeah, I learned about it's, dogwood it's in elementary school, but I know it's tied to the state of North Carolina, obviously. But it has blooms, but on it. and they bloom some time during the year. Yeah. 
But Before the Dogwood Blooms, it's my favorite song because I love the sound of it. I think it's going to be a great live song. But also, I think it's by far the best truck driver-ish song that I've ever heard. Because Andy and I were talking about this before. It's not just about, I'm driving my 18-wheeler down the road, you know, shifting gears and everything. It kind of has, Andy brought the point, it kind of has like a Smokey and the Bandit feel almost. Because he's a truck driver that said he has a uh, a big rig for haul. It's basically I mean, for hire. plot. The, the yeah. second verse is basically the plot of Smokey and the Bandit. He and his wife are... Uh, Except for he doesn't die at the end of Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. But he and his wife are going through tough times. They need to make ends meet. They're struggling, which is a common theme throughout Lamentations. But... With uh, Before the Dogwood Blooms, uh, the lines in that that really stick out to me that really made me love it was like talking about how the rent doesn't pay itself and he knows deep down that he's above this, but he's old enough to know better but too young to care because, you know, they got to they gotta pay the rent somehow. So it's he takes cash up front, no questions asked. I like the how to is he ties in the, the opening line, the kiss me quick honey line. Yeah. And then retur- uh, factors in the end of the song. Yeah. But it uses it in two different Does it in the senses, intro and outro. Yeah. With two different senses. Yeah. With the and kiss me quick honey, really I can't cool. stay long. It also sounds awesome. It's really catchy the way he sings it. It really does. And I think that Before the Dogwood Blooms is a, is a very catchy hook for the end of the chorus. That is, it means a lot to people that are uh, grew up in North Carolina, or at least it it's resonates with people from and North I'm, Carolina. I'm not positive, but I'm fairly sure someone fact to me. I believe the dogwood tree is also in the Bible as well. Is it? Which would, I'm almost positive that it, it's something to do in the Bible, the dogwood tree. Right. That would tie back into the laminations. Lamentations. Lamentations. That would tie back back into that part too. Yeah. What's your favorite song on the record? Start. Uh, before the Dollar Blooms is my second one. Uh, my favorite song is Starts With You. Yeah, I like That's, this song a lot. I did the first verse, the whole song is just, I love, it's, it's very catchy and also well written. And then it's the whole sound of it and everything. It's another one of those songs. It's, so, a, it's an all around song. If you read our uh, our album review we did on our website, oakcitydrifters.com or countryandcoldcans.com, uh, either URL will take you there. Um, it's our most recent article. We did a, a small write up on it and. Like I said, it's. I think that starts with you. The luckier you get, and before the dogwood blooms, are going to make for great concert songs. They're they're not too slow. They're they're up tempo enough, and they're enough. They're rock and roll enough that I think it's going to keep the crowd engaged and be. They're going to be uh, slappers, bangers, and certified twangers, as BJ likes to say. And it's also a good song too. That when you know BJ's past, it's also a good how where he's come from song. I guess you would say too, in the way it's talks about how he used to be as he would say uh no good scoundrel i guess and yeah it's kind of you know he quit drinking and everything and he's now living a different life and it's kind of a flashback to his past because it's kind of a happy love song that says nothing positive really the entire song yeah it's at the end of the course one thing that i think is pretty sticks out to me about that song too that <clears throat> is in the second verse that describes me like i love to talk about bummer jams how much i love sad songs and like the lines where he's talking about, uh, she asked him, who is it that hurts you so uh, bad? And he's like, well, the sad songs make me happy. Like that describes how I feel about a lot of music. Cause like I've said before, the appeal of sad songs is being sad is the most real human emotion that all of us has felt. And it's definitely something that, you know, it hits you in the gut more than, more than just a, Hey, we're getting drunk on a tailgate, drinking out of the Dixie cup girl and her Daisy Dukes. Like the, the fake, idea of what country music is for people that live in suburbia and the other thing too that he uses in the i believe it's one of the verses is the uh the flying reference 
I, that's one of my favorite references that people use, whether it to be like the learning to fly type reference or the fall, falling so long thought you were flying reference. That's one of my favorite lines for someone to use. Analogy, I guess. Is that right? Sure. Is that an analogy? Whatever that is. But whatever that is in a song, that's one of my favorites to be used. And I like the way that he used it in there. It was a little different than yeah. normal. One thing that really stuck out to me about this record, too, this was probably one of the first times I think you could maybe make the argument a little bit about things change, but but more so in this record, for the first time with a, a full band, American Aquarium record, almost all of the songs or most of the songs are not necessarily autobiographical. They're more actually, there. Some of them are based on <clears throat> emotions and stuff that he may have gone through or felt and gone through experiences he gone through. But there's like more fictional story and narrative that ties into things that are loosely based on something he or someone he knows has gone through. If you look at the past discography of uh, American Aquarium that a lot of the fans like became used to is they were snapshots of things that BJ had gone through when he was younger, um, partying all the time. And when, as he would say, was like he had fun, but at the same time, he wasn't really happy. Whereas like now it's obviously that he's more mature. He's happy. This is a very mature record. The, vo- the vocals are different too from then from the older stuff. It's more of he's a you know the angry kind of yelling type singing. Yeah. Or this is a lot more of a melodic type singing from him, which is a little bit new. Things change had it a little bit. But that's kind of a, a newer thing that changes with like what you said the space that he is in. Yeah, and you know with this record you can definitely see that. It's a continuation of the songwriting progression for BJ from the last record with Things Change because Saving Country Music kind of succinctly summarized that Things Change... BJ has always been a, a good to great songwriter, but Things Change was where he kind of took the next step and kind of like put him in the upper echelon of Roots Music songwriters. And I think this this record really solidified that it wasn't a flash in the, plan of, in the pan of him being one of the elite songwriters. It's different from his earlier stuff, but it's it's a more mature and like the 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 verses and the wordplay is is more like I guess it, it's th- not saying that it's as good as Evan Felker, but it's more similar to Evan, Evan Felker in that he's writing a a short story so to speak, as opposed to just an autobiographical account of something he went through. Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of definitely a progression on his end when it comes to his songwriting and the sound too. The the record too is interesting that it sounds different than the, a lot of the rest of the albums, but it still distinctly sounds like an American, American Aquarium, Aquarium record. Yeah. If you go back and look over like their discography, they've always been fairly good at doing that, sticking to mixing the same genres together and then just leaning towards other like different parts of the, that grouping throughout the discography of everything they've done, where it's not the same album twice, but they are all distinctly have that American Aquarium sound to yeah. them. I, I agree 100%. Like, I, I saw an interview, and we actually um, put this in our, our album review we did on our website. Again, it's oakcitydrifters.com, countryandcoldcans.com. But him and Shooter have done, like, these little um, in-studio interviews that he's been releasing clips from. And one thing that he says, like, in some ways this is a departure in sound because they mixed in some different things to, like, Shooter's prowess as a producer. They brought in some new sounds and everything that was different for the band. And, of course, it's different different players on it now because bj seems to have like a, a million and one different uh band members but it's it's a departure but it's still as andy aptly said it's still distinctly an american aquarium record and you, when you hear it you know it's them even though it's slightly different from their past stuff but there it does harken back to some of their stuff like some of the <clears throat> more up-tempo songs like the luckier you get is 
I think that's while I don't wouldn't call that one of my favorites or the best song on the record. That's gonna be a great concert song, just because one, it's a rock and roll song, but two, it kind of harkens back a little bit to some of the up tempo stuff on Dances for the Lonely. But as Andy said before we went on the air, it's really it really is like similar, but it's different in that uh dances for the lonely had a real bar band sound and also the when you go to that rock and roll bar band sound it also tends to describe the emotion of anger more where he was angry back then and where now he's not well now you could argue that he's a little bit angry but he's not angry at like he's not angry in a relationship sense he's angry like he's kind of describing the emotions of it's more heartache in some sense of how the tough times that some people are going through yeah but yeah. It's, it, but you typically are not going to get as angry as when the the girl broke your heart and you're yeah. drunk and this isn't i hope he breaks your yeah, heart it's not that kind of anger yeah you don't you wouldn't express the same kind of anger necessarily in the same way the anger that's on this record is more aimed at societal uh things that are going on like that he he may be upset about and he expressed himself on this record in that regard but like where Dances for the Lonely was uh, had a very bar band rock and roll kind of sound. It had some blues in it. Yeah. A lot of blues in yeah. it, too, as well. But this record is like similar to that, but it is a little bit more Heartland Rock than bar band. It's a little bit of a yeah. happier. I love to classify the luckier you get. I call it the... He really tapped into his inner Tom Petty, because it's like... That song really is like the Tom Petty special. It's heartfelt roots rock and roll with a catchy hook. Who ever thought you describe an American Aquarium sound as happy? <laughs> yeah, well, it's definitely not happy. They're all sad songs, pretty much. I don't even know if there is a... Well, the Long Haul is not uh, a sad song, so to speak. That's probably the only one. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's the only one looking at the track list. That I, I wouldn't know that you would say that, like, Brightly from Burley and uh, Better South are really sad. They're more so of a... I think they're... I think those... I think that Brightly from Burley could be... Yeah, you might be right about that, because if I'm not mistaken, that one's like Current about... Current affairs a, issues, I guess you would sort, yeah. of, sort of say. Yeah. With So, like, with The Better South, it's one of those things that uh, I, I really like the way the record that uh, song sounds, and, like, whether or not some people may agree with some aspects of it, it's another thing. Like, my whole thing about that is I will always say that if an artist feels like they want to get somewhat political with social issues, they should do it, just because... It'd be kind of hypocritical for us where we have a podcast and a website where we talk about our opinions to tell them to, to suppress their opinions just to make the masses happy. But at the same time, as Andy and I would say, and we don't care if it's left wing, left wing, right wing, center. We don't really give a shit. We're not the biggest fans of political songs of all stripes. Like whether it, it doesn't matter if it's BJ or Jason Isbell singing from a left wing bent or if it's John Rich riding in on a bald eagle with the American flag it's kind of like doing uh, his America song. I'm BJ, just not a fan of the it. The description but. BJ used about what he said uh, when he covered that Toby Keith song uh, uh, should have been a cowboy. What he the, what he wrote yeah, about yeah, Toby Keith. I exactly. kind of feel the same way I feel the exact about same Toby way. Keith, but the songs that you know, kind of like Brightly from Burley and Better South, it's kind of the same to me. Yeah, and it's not necessarily that we're disagreeing it's with all of it. It's just not my wheelhouse. Yeah, it's of, not that we're songwriting. necessarily that we're disagreeing with all the elements of the song by any means it's just i like don't really like political songs whether it's toby keith singing about a boot in your ass and when america that uh you know red white and blue song or whether it's jason isbell singing about you know how bad things are now because of trump or whatever like i just am not a big fan of political songs but as a disclaimer country and coal can staff we're not a shut up and sing kind of people we if they want to do it we're all for it well 
we just may not enjoy those songs as much as others. It's you know when you have like I just but it comes down to I don't give a shit about people's political yeah, opinions. And like, it's, too, it's what it comes so, down like, to. Like I like emotion and songs, and then just to me that more of a personal issues versus a larger scale yeah. issue. You're not as emotional about those issues, whereas yeah. you take like uh, Tennessee, like t- Tennessee versus like Better South. Yeah. you're going to be a lot more. And intimately it's emotional about Tennessee. It's more yeah. personal. Yeah. Whereas the broader, uh, grander issues, you're not going to just be as personally emotional yeah. over it. Doesn't mean that you're not passionate and about it. It's just a different kind of emotion. This is not a scientific poll by any means because it's Twitter. But we did a little Twitter polling of our uh, followers. You mean that's not total fact? Yeah, man. Apparently, <laughs> but tell people that they'll go crazy because people need to remember Twitter is not real life. It's a bird. <laughs> but uh, we. We did a little polling on uh, social media of our followers, and most of the people kind of fall where we are. Like, there are some people that love political songs. They, they take it as a battle cry, and that's good for them. There are some people, another minority of that, that think that they hate them, and, but they only hate them because they disagree with the, the topic that the artist is covering. We fall in the middle on that, and I think most listeners do, in that... We don't like. We think that if they feel like they need to get political, let them do it. But we just personally are not fans of political songs. And like I said, I'll repeat: I don't care if it's right wing or left wing. It doesn't fucking matter to me. I just I'm not a fan of those types of songs. Another thing you come into is it's a matter if you like to talk to somebody about politics. Yeah. Because where BJ is not like this at all for him. But a lot of times when you want to talk politics with somebody, no matter who it is, if they don't exactly uh, agree with you, it's like arguing with a wall. It's not even a conversation. They're just stating what they think to you and not listening. But BJ's not like that. BJ's actually talked about this in concert. He's like, he's all about discussions, but when a discussion devolves into an argument, that's where it kind of loses any type of semblance of civil uh, discussion, and that's when things get. And that's how most people are. And I just would just don't want to talk about it at all because I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to argue with anybody. I just don't want to do it. Yeah, and look, we all have our opinions. I mean, it's like an asshole. Everybody has one. But some are cleaner than others. Yeah, <laughs> true enough. But uh, that's kind of a weird thing for us to talk about here. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, like it's it's just one of those things that I will say. Bj has always done a, a good job balancing when he wants to get political, in that it's not a hundred percent in your face like some other artists. Like Will Hogue put out an entire record of just like bashing people that are disagree with him, and whether or not you agree with his viewpoint or not, his record was kind of unbearable just because. He was classifying half the country as being ignorant and and like narrow-minded, but the way he went about it, he came across as being ignorant and narrow-minded because he wasn't really he was preaching tolerance, but he wasn't being tolerant. And th- that's the part where BJ doesn't really do that. You know where he stands, but at the same time, he doesn't alienate half his listener base when he does it. And BJ even said in a recent interview that he knew he wanted to put some political elements on the song, but he knew that. He didn't. He couldn't write ten political songs because he didn't want. He want people wanted to go to the concert and you know listen to rock and roll music. And half his fan base is probably not all in line with him on some things. But you know, I guess that's enough political talk for us. And too, it's like what he said too, which would narrow to a lot of these things is uh, 
he said in one of his live streams too that certain albums and certain songs are just not going to be for you. Yeah, that's true. Maybe the next one will be. Yeah, catch exactly. You the next time around. Yeah, I mean that's fine. Like the people that will stop listening to an artist because they put some of their personal opinions are just being they're being narrow minded. Or themselves. even like sound wise or yeah. anything like where people keep saying the this band lost yeah, its sound. That, reference that in the yeah, long. So he long. said that. I mean, you know, hey, maybe this album these albums aren't for you. Maybe yeah. we'll catch you the next time around. Exactly. So I mean, but like we said, when it comes to like. Um, we think that Brightly from Brilly is actually a decent song. It sounds great. A Better South sounds great. So, I mean, it's just like, we're just not, when it comes to A Better South, we're just not really getting the, into the, the political stuff. The chorus from Brightly from Brilly is just so catchy. Yeah, it is. Like, get low down. Yeah, we get so high catchy. as a kite. <laughs> That's the one thing that I think why that song, I, I think, is better than Better South. It's just because yeah. the way he sings it. I ain't going to lie to you. I love the chorus of Better South. I though. like the way that sounds. I love the chorus of it. Like the instrumentation on it. Yeah. But the vocals on uh, Brightly from Burley are just so catchy. And the way yeah. he just does it, I don't know, it's just it's different, too, for him. Because he doesn't do a lot of the different sounding vocals he kind of stays in a narrow pocket and then yeah. when he does a low down yeah. and get brings up that's that's a little different for him yeah because i mean bj's not the most talented vocalist he's a one of the elite songwriters and has a great band behind him but when it comes to sheer vocal ability it's not always there but like you said not everybody has all three tools they're the unicorns <laughs> but but yeah, look, I really love the chorus, though, of A Better South. That one, I think the production sounds great. And I, I love the line in the chorus where it's like, the only dream not worth having is the one you don't chase down. Like, that's that's a like a good line, I think. But uh, what do you think is the best song on the album? The best song on the album? I would probably have to go with uh, Six Years Come September. I agree. Probably. I agree. But... It just depends on what aspect you look at it to. Because actually, I think it's tough to say because I don't like the song like Brightly from Burley, that that concept. Right. But I do think that is a very well written song. It's mm-hmm. just I. It, it's kind of like we were talking about too. Is that some some of these songs like when you know BJ's past and all that stuff, you're gonna have a a bias towards that type of song where you really. There's, I don't know. It'd be tough to shake that bias when you know what what he's writing from. Like, uh, don't forgot the name of it, but the song about him getting sober from uh, Things Change. Uh, oh, one, one Day at a time. time. Yeah. That it's kind of like that. Those songs a, are a little more personal. Yeah, that's a prime example that you have a bias to that. Whereas, like, Starts With You, you come at it with the same bias. Yeah. And Six Years Come September, coming from a former well, I think abuser, he, he I said just, that, well, he said he wrote, song he wrote that him. song, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken on this i remember hearing on a live stream he's been doing on was it wednesdays and sundays yeah that he wrote that song about uh somebody he knows whether it was a good friend of yours or not i'm not yeah, sure it was somebody he knew yeah it was a, it was a kind of a true story about someone he knew but when you look at the aspect from a former yeah. alcoholic it's kind of yeah like, but that's i mean i don't know if that's fair because i mean he's he's you had a bias to it is this fair what I'm saying? but but the thing about uh I think is BJ set the tone with so many like snapshot autobiographical songs for so many years that now he's like writing more with a narrative of that's not necessarily about him always that that might turn some people off because of what they've gotten used to. But at the same time, like you, you take Evan Felker, for instance, Evan Felker's always written those narrative style songs, but you know, his history and you yeah. know, his struggles and his highs and lows. But if he were to come out with an, a record similar to this, no one would be criticizing him for it. So is it fair to criticize BJ just because... No, like, that's not like, a criticism yeah. of it. I'm just yeah. saying is that certain songs, like 
uh, six like about a song. It, you have a bias to it, where right? You just think it's better written than another song on the same Fair. album. Yeah, that you kind of you get in a, a biased opinion. But uh, the day I learned a lot of you is very that one. I really liked that song, the writing of that song when he first played it. What was it? Uh, a year ago when yeah, he was playing them acoustically? He did it acoustically and he sent, he sent the link out to people that pre ordered. And yeah. I, I think I sent that link over to you so you he could put hear it on it. Instagram. Like when he was, I think he was yeah. advertising the, the pre order. Yeah, it was a day after like he would send it to the people that pre ordered. He would put it on like Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. The, I, that song, I really liked that song, but the album version... You just didn't like the production. I didn't like it. the production. I just don't like the way it sounds. Andy's not a big piano guy. No, I'm not. It, it's <coughs> boring to me. But I really like that song. So, it's between those two for me. Yeah. I, I think the best song... Now, I love The Day I Learned to Lie to You. I wrote a little write-up about that in the review, about um, the, the verse about how... His lies grew up like an oak tree out in the front yard. That was really, and, and, yeah. Really that analogy good. was phenomenal. Like when the the branch falls down and tore their world apart, went right through her heart. Like that is top notch songwriting. But like I said, my not my favorite, but my what I think is the best song is Six Days Come September. And in that song, it really does kind of have an like I think a early '80s kind of Bruce Springsteen feel to it. In that, like just with the production and like the way he sings on it. But that song just has a phenomenal story, and it's one of those ones that it, it's kind of like it requires multiple listens to really interpret what the song is 100% about, because we discussed this last weekend. The first time you hear it, my take was that, you know, he, he is in jail and because he ran into somebody after he had been drinking and he shouldn't have been driving, and that's why his his wife and his daughter left him. But then I listened to it a few more times, and now I think it's when it, the beginning says... Uh, I have a picture of you holding a picture of her taped to the dash of my car. When I listened to that, it changed the way I looked at the song because when is the only time that you really see uh, a, a mother holding a picture of their, uh, taking a picture of them holding a picture of their child? It's when it's the sonogram. And I said that's got, yeah. that's got to be what it is. So I, I think that what it was is his wife was pregnant in the song. And she had a pic. He has a picture of her holding the sonogram. So they were expecting a child. They went out to a bar. He got hammered. She tried to get him to give the keys to the Oldsmobile. He wouldn't do it, and he couldn't see the guy coming up over the hill. So when he ran into that guy, his wife and his child to be passed away. So that makes it where it's like un. It's not able to be resolved for where he can't ever get them back, and now he's cursed with this clarity. I got to thinking about this too, which you just said about the fact that he said Oldsmobile. Yeah. That either, that kind of dates the song as well because they don't make Oldsmobile yeah. anymore. Oh, I just we, thought about that today. We used to, when I was a little kid in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think it was the late 90s, early 2000s, we used to have an Oldsmobile. We had a, it was I a, think we did too. It was a, the minivan, wasn't I think it? So. Yeah, ours was a silhouette, was what they were called. We used to ro- roll around in a, uh, before my mom st- graduated to SUVs. Yeah, she. We used to have the, a minivan, the Oldsmobile Silhouette, I believe it was. It was white with black stripe down the side. That's probably what we had, but I think ours was like yeah. a hideous green. Was it green? Yeah. What kind did y'all have when y'all... Uh, we're talking minivans now. Wow. We're showing that I we're not young talking, anymore. It was, a, it was a minivan. Yeah, I had a red one for a while. Yeah, we had a Ford red one. It was a Ford? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I thought That's that enough a, man van talk. But but. The, the Oldsmobile either dates the song, or it would, if it was more recent for yeah. the song, it would portray that they were most likely... Not didn't have a lot of money either. Yeah, because mo- you would if you most people don't drive Oldsmobiles. Yeah, because they were kind of uh, pieces of shit too. <laughs> well, and also Oldsmobile kind of 
I mean, maybe we're looking into it too much. Oldsmobile also probably just kind of fit the song a little bit. That easier. ran through my head today, though. That, that, yeah. that would either date the song or would basically say that they really didn't have a lot of money yeah. if it was current day because they're still driving an Oldsmobile. But either way, like, broke down the song the is a phenomenally written narrative about losing people you loved because you have a substance abuse problem. And then after they at that loss and that tragedy drove you to get sober, and now but now you're cursed with the clarity and it just takes all you can just to keep between the lines because for the rest of your life, you're going to have that haunting you. And I think that that's a hauntingly beautiful like uh, theme to tackle in a song. It's something that most people wouldn't have the songwriting chops to be able to do in the way they did it. I would so, agree with that. But yeah. And, um, you know, I think there's some other good songs. Obviously, I think the record has a lot of great songs on it. Um, oh, yeah, Vince, it is a really good record. Yeah, like The Long Haul is a perfect lead single that they, they released because it kind of tackles, uh, you know, different aspects of people saying the band's lost his sound, but he's not going to give up. He's in it for the long haul. And then you were talking about, like, the last verse, about how you were uh, you thought that how she says she's not the kind of gal that's going to cut and run. She doesn't want to be just another song about walking oh, yeah. away. Yeah, that, that I love the way that tied it together at the end. That, that comes back in, too. That it, I don't know, it just makes it better when you know it's BJ's past. Yeah, that had a little bit of a old-school rhythm and blues kind of feel to it yeah. with some of the production. That also is that's a personal song for him as well. Oh, yeah. That you know, one, you that that, one you now... You said that as a lot of it's not as personal as it was, that, that one, one is the starts one, with you as two. Yeah, those two are probably the two out of the ten that I think are more autobiographical than any that one definitely is autobiographical but the i mean you're right with you is too for sure yeah oh definitely then when he met his wife you know everything basically all the bad stuff you know most people ask for help and before he hits rock bottom he just laughs and asks for a shovel yeah that was kind of you know and then you know every day that ends in y is a good day to wreck it that's all that's you know summing up in a in a quick summary the end of that chorus is his albums today. The beginning of that chorus is the old albums. Yeah. But, I mean, in general, I think the only criticisms, and this is just from a personal standpoint that I have with the record, is, like, really on a couple of the tracks, I'm a person of faith, so it's, like, a couple of the tracks have a couple lines that are not, not, necessary, that are not necessarily conducive to someone that has a belief in a higher power, like, with some, like on Me and Mine and even Brightly from Burley, but especially on Me and Mine. Like, it makes me a little uncomfortable, and it makes me where I... I, I or, overall I like the song and I think the song has a, a pretty good message but at the same time some of those lines make me uncomfortable and makes like it's just something that's a personal thing it's, I'm not saying it's a bad song but it just it does that to me I also kind of think though that someone it's about time sort of that he put that into a song because generally his older stuff he does mention praying and all that stuff and with him not being religious well he's it had it in a few sense. songs I mean Anne Marie uh, sings back wasn't that the song he was like with a prayer without relief is like a pill a, a prayer without belief is a like a pill without relief because i mean he's had some some mentions here and there but i mean everybody but, knows that bj's not yeah, a religious guy but most of his songs would a lot of the ones when he did mention stuff he would mention he had a song on things change that kind of talked about it too it was like but that was the last album it's more yeah. of a it makes sense for him to lean a little bit more that way yeah. than the other way look and that's that's his perspective i mean yeah. it just me personally I, I don't necessarily subscribe to his belief system when it comes to faith so it's like when things are kind of like I'm not saying necessarily anti-faith, but when things kind of like are um, a little bit against that, it does make me uncomfortable. But that's just a personal thing. Yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't I'm make the record way. bad. And because that's anything, like with but, me and mine, that that part of me and mine, and I'm I do not like the sound of me and mine. That's right. not my wheelhouse. 
that it kind of just loses me. And I, I think that song's well written and everything, yeah. but it just the sound of it. And then as we now, I love said, the chorus to me and mine. These lamentations. Are, yeah, some of the choruses yeah. are, are fine, but when I, the first verse to me that that type like me and mine and uh, the day I learned to lie, the day I learned to lie to you that it's just not my type of sound and it I can't con- it, I get so it sounds so boring to me right. I can't keep my thought process on listening to the words I, I, one thing observation I have about like when it comes to you listening to songs if a song is going to be slow and kind of like plodding along like that and probably needs to be acoustic for you because or it's got to have like a the sound like tennessee because that's a really yeah. sad song or hurricane that kind of sound yeah. to it it's got the the why uh like a wine and pedal steel in there will keep my interest but it keeps the same kind of yeah and i sound i, I, to I say it. this every time pedal steel guitar is my favorite instrument in the entire world because there is no other instrument that can uh, emote like a human voice or even make you feel the human emotions with the pitch changes and the whining of the pedal steel guitar but I'll stay. I'll get off my soapbox about pedal steel. But that's just kind of for me to a certain few of the songs. The sound wise loses me. But I tend to lean rock and roll or yeah. a loud fiddle or yeah. typically rock and roll and loud is typically the way I lean. Rock and roll or extremely or that, country like, with a fiddle. Or very bluesy. <laughs> like Flatland. Or very bluesy too. Or very like bluesy. A, I'm not a big blues guy. I like blues. I've never. I know. And that, to me, that, well, you like Steve. Or wasn't it you that's like Steve, Stevie Ray Vaughan a lot? Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm, I can't get into him. I, I recognize his talent, and I objectively can say he's very talented. But it's just like it doesn't do anything for me. And too, like uh, BJ's voice to me kind of has that Memphis blues type, a little bit roughness in it yeah where that, that which like is funny because if you listen to his first record he didn't have that i wonder if that's just him learning his range with singing or if it's just years of substance because you, you hear it in uh, dances for the lonely too that type you don't really promise hear, i don't have covid i'm just coughing you don't it hear it as much in uh this album as you did the rest of them yeah that he's kind of did his voice did change a little bit in that yeah. sense but you know in summary like we actually really like the record i think it's a phenomenal record start to finish a um, few things here and there that I, I may not love about it, but that's with any record. There's no record I've ever listened to that doesn't have a song that I don't skip. So These like, are very few. Very, very few. And I'm hard-pressed to name one. It's very difficult to make an entirely great album. It is, it is. Like, I don't think we've ever said that on the podcast before. Yeah. But that you might have seven great songs, yeah. but three are not going to be good out of yeah. ten. Yeah. That, that that's only a 70 percent album. And it's not that they're bad songs. They just don't live up to the rest relative to... It's tough to, to make a... When, when you reach a certain high with one song and then you listen to another song that doesn't meet that yeah. expectation, it's tough to really like consider that song as good. And I think that's kind of like, while they're all good songs... I think that some of the songs just didn't reach the highs that yeah. the high the high song or the best songs did. So it's like it's we kind of get a little bit judgmental in some respect for that. But, but. Yeah, I, I, I find myself doing that when you look at you times you you make the highs outweigh the lows yeah. type deal on an album. But some of the ways when you really look at the great albums, each song is just a number. Yeah, it only counts for ten percent of the album. True. No matter if you have yeah. a hundred ten song album, you know ten percent <laughs> is all that. Hundred ten song album. I was going to say 100%, and then I went to 10. I yeah. Just it but, yeah. But, you know, switching gears a little bit. We're we're big fans of Lamentations. think it's a good record. You could buy it, stream it, whatever, however you consume music or do both. But um, switching gears a little bit, there's also been some some pretty good uh, singles that have been re- released by other artists here in our music roundup. Like, for instance, Kip Moore released, a, I think, a, I consider it a really good song. I love the the rolling melody it has in Southpaw. Yeah. I like his voice too. Yeah, I do too. He's definitely comes from the. He's like a, a mainstream version of a 
in within the country sphere of mainstream country, he kind of leans a little bit more Springsteen-y in some way. He gets a bad rap too. He does, but there's something about a truck, which is a terrible yeah. song. He gets a bad rap because that was the one that was really popular. That was his first. The big rest hit. of that album was really good. Yeah, it was. except for that song that had that didn't even fit in. It didn't with the rest fit of sonically it. or thematically with the rest of his debut record. And he gets but, a bad rap for that. But he, you know. Kip Moore is an artist that I really like and I listen to pretty regularly. He's one of the of the main... See, I get so frustrated with people that think that everything that comes out of Texas and Oklahoma is amazing. Everything that comes out of Nashville is bad. In reality, there's a lot of shitty music in Texas and Oklahoma. And there's a lot of really good music out of Nashville and vice versa. You just kind of have to sift through the bad and get to the good. Where is Kip Moore? What do you mean, where is he? I don't know. Have you ever seen the... Let's I don't know where he is right now. It looks like he's on... I don't some, have a GPS tracker on He looks like he's been him. on a deserted island for like oh, a year. I have no idea. But have him, you seen he, that? He's from Georgia, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, but he's not in Georgia. That can't be Georgia. No, no, no. I don't know if he lives in Georgia. I don't... I, don't, I mean, this guy looks like he's on a really deserted keep, island with really, 10 people in a cabin. I don't really keep tabs of his personal life, so I can't tell you where he is at this very moment or where he's been living. But, it's a little shrimp. He, yeah. He's different in that sense. He lives kind of yeah. like a hippie. He's a little... Well, he is a little bit of a hippie compared to... He doesn't. He's a little bit left of center of a lot of uh, yeah. mainstream people. That guy, I don't think, would ever really fit into the country genre because he's not no, country. he's not country. He's a hippie, basically. Well, 25 years ago, he wouldn't be a country artist. He'd be a rock artist. Yeah. But we talked about this ad nauseum and off the podcast and a little bit on the podcast. Like Mainstream rock as a commercial platform is really kind of dead. When you have Imagine Dragons winning Grammy Award a few years ago for uh, Best Rock Album, you know you're kind of crap out of luck. So... But, you know, anyway, South Paul's worth spending a few times. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, uh, almost a narrative song about how he could have been a South Paul, like in the, you know, outlaw kind of thing, with, like in the Old West. So it's definitely it's a, a, it's a fun song. It's a little different. Too. Yeah. It's a little different. Sounds but, good. Yeah, it fits within the it's Kip Moore discography. Yeah. But definitely if you're an independent fan, give Kip Moore a listen. Like, and don't, but don't go in thinking that you're going to have Evan Felker style music because it's different that doesn't make it bad it's just different but um then also parker mccollum released a song it was one of the f- the first ones that not the first one he didn't write because he's written some that his family has written or yeah, recorded his, some of his family yeah a couple of them and like then, uh, galveston the, bay um, he didn't write but the that guy that wrote that song he wrote a uh two or three of his songs yeah believe. but his newest single i don't know i don't think it's been pushed radio because i think pretty hard is the current uh radio song but like a cowboy is what it's called it's um chris stapleton and some other dude wrote the song so i think that it's a it's a good song and definitely with the chris stapleton uh credit on the songwriting list helps it in the media now that parker is um signed to a major label i think he's with umg nashville so he's um that that's a big deal to get a stapleton cut these days since as big as stapleton has blown up over the last few years but that song is just it really fits well within the what parker does best which is this kind of sad longing uh, style, but it, it fits right in there with like Hell of a Year and I Can't Breathe sonically. Like Which they, is his they, most popular yeah. song. Those are the songs that I think resonate with people the most due to Parker has a very unique voice. Parker is definitely country, but he has a heavy John Mayer influence. So like you can, I've always kind of likened him to being a, a country uh, mix with a little bit of John Mayer sound because I mean he's He's a big mayor fan. His boy. voice sounds like something that somebody that was seeing pop music. Yeah, it does. It's just how he sounds. Yeah, because he has he has a, he has a unique really voice though. That. He has a unique voice. Sounds good. And I th- we think Parker is going to blow up because objectively speaking, Parker is a good looking dude. So people, the women love him, and uh, like there, I see a lot of uh, females that I know that are not really 
normally listening to Texas artists, but they love Parker McCollum. So I, I think that they're, he's going to blow up with that demographic, which will help yeah, them in the mainstream. That, that yeah, well. so, but uh, like a cowboy is kind of one of those songs that, you know, it, it's about you know one of those relationships where he is always going to feel the need to kind of, you know, leave. <laughs> yeah, which is basically all the other songs that he has. Yeah, he has a lot. He has a lot of songs like that. I don't know what that means for Hallie Ray Light, but it, we'll see. Isn't uh, <laughs> Good Night Hallie Ray Light about leaving her? But yeah, but I don't think it's about leaving her for good. I think it's just about him having to get on the road. He sings about love and be on the road all the time because, like, what's that line in one of his songs where he's just like, "When I'm at home, I'm missing the road. When I'm on the road, I'm missing home." Yeah. So I mean, I can't breathe. Yeah, because that I mean Parker's a relatively young guy. He's like 27, 28 years old. He's been living. Or he's on that midnight train back to Austin. With that yeah. Cocaine. Yeah. So I mean, that's a good song. Definitely worth going to check out. And then um, sticking within the mainstream before we pivot over to one of our favorites, Co Wetzel. Um, in the mainstream, Morgan Wallen it can be hit or miss for independent fans. Well, independent fans hate him, but girls love him in the mainstream. But Morgan Wallen, I'm actually a fan of. I can't explain why I'm a fan of some of this stuff, but I think he actually is a clever songwriter. And if he really honed in on some of the stuff he, he does, like he could put out some really solid music. He has a very unique voice. I like his voice. Yeah, his voice is... is and his debut record had a handful of really good songs on it that were very coyly written, like Happy Hour. His, like... It's happy hour, and I'm happy hours is done. Like, that's that's kind of a cool, like, it kind of harkens back to that 90s kind of country wordplay. But his newest song, More Than My Hometown, um, I will say that I think they did a good job of bringing his voice out. They cleaned up his voice a little bit, as Grady Smith would say, um, on his debut record. But he has kind of a this growl in his voice. Sometimes it's kind of unique to him versus a lot of people in the mainstream. And I think that they did a good job of putting that front and center even if the production is a bit bland, so to speak. It's a little bit vanilla, but it's not bad. But that song is just basically about, you know, he loves this woman, but he's not willing to chase her all over the country. She wants to move and go into bigger things. It kind of really ties it up perfectly at the very end of that song where it says that, uh, you know, she wants a house on the hills. Uh, he he doesn't want a house on the in the hills. He wants one. Uh, shit, how does it say? I only listen to half the song. He, he wants a house in the hills, not in them. And, uh, you know, he's a gas station cup of coffee every morning. He, his heart's stuck in these streets like a train track. It's basically he loves her, and he it names it. It's a little bit less. But he loves his hometown more. He, lo- he just can't. Well, it's not. That's the metaphor it uses, but it's not. He can't uproot himself and change who he is for her just because she wants to travel around the country. So yeah, He lost me on that part. But but that's reality for a lot of relationships. That's like, reality for a lot of people. But yeah, like it, you, it, you, well, you live that your song life. So unrelates to me that I really don't even understand what he's even talking about. <laughs> but I know I'm probably the anomaly. On Andy, that, as we've covered at nauseum on here, he's a truck driver, so he lives his life in a what a six by six truck most of the time on the road. I don't know how big it is. Yeah, I'm. I stay put in North Carolina, and he's all over the country. So Andy can't relate to songs about uh, a love for a particular place that makes you not want to leave. Like, I, I get that. I love Raleigh, North Carolina, and I intend on staying here the rest of my days until I can retire at the beach and ride around my golf cart all day. But That song was a no for me. What, more than my hometown? Yeah. Well, you also sometimes can not like people just because they're in the mainstream. Well, the words to it didn't even make sense to me, but that's just me. Well, you didn't relate to the, the, yeah. the theme of the song. Yeah, I, I, I unrelate to it so much that it doesn't even make sense to me. Right. But that's not for me. I like the song. I think it's worth listening to. It's not going to be something that you're going to spend all the time, but it's definitely worth. It's it's a great like tailgate song if you want to say that. Like if you're into that kind of thing. 
But uh, then switching gears, we Andy and I have slightly different opinions on this next one. He's kind of a a guy that gets an emotion out of you, whether you love him, you hate him, or you're in, or, or you're kind of somewhere in the middle. Like Co Wetzel <laughs> is an enigma within the Texas scene because he's not country at all. He kind of has that that '90s post grunge to early 2000s butt rock kind of sound more at times. Butt rock. I think his last record was definitely '90s post grunge. Yeah, that was, one was. But yeah. the rest, everything else. This new Andy. this new song's pretty butt rock. Noise complaint. Yeah. Something going on outside. Cop coming for somebody. Yeah. But uh, noise complaint be, was uh, fire truck. Noise too. complaint was more butt rock, and then uh, I don't know. I thought so. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I'll have to go back and listen to that and think about like it. Very, very wide genre. Well, I mean, I, what I consider that is like stained and Nickelback and Creed. Stained and Nickelback don't sound anything alike. I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, so it's yeah, so fair, broad. Fair. You, it's not really because it's genre. <laughs> it's not a real genre. It's just so broad. But this particular Coetzel release is called Country and Western. It's uh, spelled K-U-N-T-R-Y, and then Western is W-I-S-T-E-R-N. It's a rock song that kind of lampoons, nothing in the song does, but the very beginning and end in the name kind of lampoons country a little bit. What is a lampoon? Like when you're kind of parodying something. Is that anything like a harpoon? Not at all. (laughs) They rhyme, and that's about it. Okay. (laughs) But but yeah, so like with country and Western, it, it starts off with like the sound of horses, and then, like, it gets into this, like, early 2000s kind of sonically sounding rock song. And then I think this song, my take on this, I think this song is, is really fun when you're hanging out with your friends. I think it's going to be a great live song for people because Coetzel shows are, are crazy. People, Most everyone there has been drinking a lot, and they all get kind of jumping up and down and screaming. It's going to be great for that setting, but it's not that good of a song. It's fun. It's a fun song. I, I like the it. song, but it's it not was. a good song. But you're also not really a fan of that genre, really, either. But at the same time, but, you can you can bowl every song, regardless of genre, down to whether it's at its core, is it a good song or a bad song? It's not a good song. But I'm also, Most of the songs of that genre are not very I'm good. I'm also a big fan of angry songs. Anger, angrily. I mean, I, I am, too. I think I am a little bit more than you are. Maybe, though. but... I like people that I are like angry. It. I lo- well, that's what it's appealing about uh, Co Wetzel is like a lot of his songs, like yes, yeah, like, when I looked at the it, song "I'm Done," I loved uh, it where Karma's a bitch and her ain't joking. One of his other most popular songs, which is an angry song. I love that song, but those songs are well written, relatively speaking. This song's not. He spends half the song um, in the end going, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." That's like, a stretch. That's I not mean, half the song. Like, it's like ten seconds. You know, the only time people do that. Is when they have nothing else to write in the back, so they start. But that would also be chanting nonsense. Live, though. It will be. That's what I said, though. But you can separate the two. You got it. It's called compartmentalization. It can be. You can like the song. It can be a fun song, but it's not a good song. Just because you like it because it's fun doesn't make it good. At its core, I think it's not a very good song. I think it's good, but I look at the genre different as a country song. Songwriting. I look at that genre. Songwriting. Songwriting wise is different. But it's not though. That's my thing though. Like a song is. At its core, it's either good or not. Genre, you can't excuse a bad song just because it's a different genre. That doesn't mean you can't like it and doesn't mean you can't enjoy it or that it's not fun live. It's just, a song's either good or it's not. And that song's just, from that standpoint, is not good. And that's I not me saying I don't like it because I do. But yeah. I mean, it's it's just overly, and I like the, I like songs like this. It's just overly aggressive. I mean, the hook of the song is I think I've lost my fucking mind. There's a little too much cursing in it for me. And that's a little bit strange for me to say. Yeah. But the way I look at it too is that like uh, really like like you know Led Zeppelin songs nobody knows what those songs are about because yeah. they don't really make sense 
but you did even it, when those songs oh, are, don't make a lot of sense like they still can be cleverly written this one's not this one's on the nose just he's angry and but it doesn't make it a good song like what's the uh line in the song he's like uh something about i hate you because you're a bitch after all you're a bitch yeah, and i, I hate, hate you. you yeah so i mean it's look it doesn't take talent to write that I think that what it came down to is Cohen and his buddies, and I like the song a lot, so I'm not saying I don't. I think Cohen and his buddies got drunk in the studio. He wrote this song. They recorded it because we're all in quarantine and he's bored. <laughs> so and he released it because Co could really, at this point in his career, this guy's blowing up. He could release three minutes of blah, 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 and people will be like, this is so groundbreaking. It's the greatest thing ever, when in reality it isn't. That song has more streams than Parker's new song. Yeah, I know. Not by a lot, but by a little. Wasn't it second a while back, wasn't it? What, Parker's? No, no, no. Wasn't Parker's ahead of Coe's a few weeks ago? It wasn't. That's all. Parker is like, I think, Parker is usually 100,000 streams behind Coe Wetzel, and then everybody else is like hundreds of thousands of streams behind Parker. Yeah. Those two guys are the biggest names. They're the biggest names out of Texas right now, easily. And I think that we've talked about this before. I think that Parker obviously fits more within what can be platable to like a mainstream or a, a wide, more a wider audience because he has a style that isn't it's it's safe enough you know what i mean it's still good songs but it's safe enough parker said it best when he was uh he signing this at all <laughs> keith whitley reference but parker said it best when he was signing his publishing deal which led to his mainstream uh, major label deal they asked him, what is it that you want to accomplish by signing this and getting into the mainstream? And he said, I want to make Luke Bryan money, but with Chris Knight quality songs, which is different than what every other square jawline, skinny white guy that with a twang in his voice. They all were just like, just to, I want to be popular. They'll sing tractor rap and R&B songs for 14-year-old girls. I've been saying this for a year. I can't wait for his new album. Yeah, same here. We've heard a, a handful of the songs that are probably making on the sure record. I'm pretty sure I've about heard the whole album by yeah. now. And the songs are phenomenal. Like, if it's anything like the, the production or the arrangement, I should say, on that he has um, in live in concert, it's going to be a really good record. Yeah. It's going to be a record that I think could catapult him to a... not. He will never be, in my opinion, as big as Luke Combs, but he could catapult him up to like a Morgan Wallen status right now. Only time will tell. Yeah. But Co is one of those people that he's too rock mainstream rock's not really a thing for him to be widespread now. So and he's not even remotely country enough for country. Even and that's saying something for Nashville. But Co's also not going to reel in his sex, drugs, and rock and roll mentality to make it safe enough. So Co's going to blow up though, even without the backing of the mainstream label. Yeah, he's doing as good as Parker on yeah. Spotify right she, now. Co had that um festival. Couple was it a couple years ago? Had like what seven thousand people? Yeah. yeah, Cody West did too. But, but yeah, I mean, those are kind of the songs we had planned to discuss in our music roundup today. Um, I'm thinking we probably gone music. long enough. Yeah, we did. I think we might have been going. We went a little longer than we normally do, but there was a lot to talk about, and we haven't had a show in a while. So, but yeah, I mean, like, we, check out Lamentations, check out Parker Co, check out Kip, and if you don't live your life on the road. If you, check out Morgan Wallen, his new song. Some of his songs are not always great, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think that'll wrap up for this. We have a a tea time here in about forty five minutes. So uh, that's it for this episode of Country and Cold Cans. I'm your host Logan, and I'm Andy. Now we'll see you next time. <laughs>